Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we are talking about Vanilla Sky, a movie one of us really connected with. Our conversation covers all possible ground about this perplexing movie, from its broader philosophical insights to that wacky aesthetic to interesting behind the scenes story. So if you're a fan of this movie, then get ready. I think you'll find this really enlightening. Travis, I yeah. gotta tell you the whole time, mm-hmm. the entire time I was watching Vanilla Sky, I was yep. thinking of you. I, I 100% believe you. Just nonstop, start to finish. I was sitting there going, Travis loved this moment. <laughs> Travis loved this moment. He's definitely going to love this and this. Oh, the song that's playing right now, Travis loves that. What a choice for Travis. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like I I kind of made the movie. Like I, You started to suspect that I may be secretly Cameron Grow. Are you, just uh, to get it on the record, because I know, I know, but are you Cameron Crow? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind being Cameron Crowe. Like, he's got some duds in his filmography, but he's probably got a lot of money. <laughs> Plus, he's got Jerry Maguire, which used, I, I used to tell people was my absolute favorite movie. Really? I can see that. I do love I, that movie, but um, it's it's definitely not my favorite anymore. I, okay. The Cameron Crowe's filmography, just the yeah, ones that he's directed. Down. I thought Say Anything was a little overrated. But yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Say Anything. Yeah, I didn't watch it until after college. So it wasn't one of those movies that I kind of had a connection with. So I was expecting maybe a little bit more. Maybe it's one that if I rewatch it a couple times, I'd mm-hmm. fall under its spell. But I never saw singles. I like Jerry Maguire, though I haven't watched it in probably <laughs> over 15 years. I, I haven't seen it probably in a decade. Yeah, almost famous. I always liked it. maybe just like a tad too much praise, but I also really like the performances. Always think it's, it's all right. A nice take on the coming of age story. Yeah, that's okay. Vanilla Sky is one that I didn't watch. This was my like second time. I say it in quotes. Watching Vanilla Sky as I wrote about it a few years ago. So watched it. Did a lot of like jumping back and forth mm-hmm. throughout it so i know the movie pretty well but this is my like second time in quotes really yeah watching it um but it was another one that i heard about for decades decades <laughs> uh, almost two decades, two decades. yeah because <laughs> I, I think the first time i saw it was like 2019 or something yeah that's about uh, when i saw it for the first time 
Oh, I thought this would have been one that you caught in college or something. And no, I watched it for the first time a few years ago and like really enjoyed it. I remembered enjoying it. I, 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 the second time I watched the movie, I was like, oh, man, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> I think I may have been like high or something when I watched it. Um, but but my only memory of the movie, there were a few select scenes. Like I totally remembered the ending. Um, even though I didn't really under- remember like the details of the ending, so that's a lie. I didn't really remember the ending, but mostly what I remembered is that it was absolutely batshit crazy. Yeah, the one thousand percent that. <laughs> and then I never saw Elizabeth Town. Nope. Uh, the Union. I don't even Pearl know what that Twenty. Is. Oh, they're documentaries. The Union uh, is a uh, Elton John. The creative process of Elton John. Oh, I, I would watch that. <laughs> Uh, Pearl Jam documentary, We Bought a Zoo. I just remember seeing the trailer for We Bought a Zoo and thinking that it was the least interesting movie I've ever seen. That's what I thought when I read the title of the movie. Yeah. I'm sure that it has like a heartwarming story. And if I watch it, I'd be like, that was okay. But I think I always enjoy Cameron Crowe movies to an extent. So like, I bet I would like it. And then Aloha, I don't think I realized was Cameron Crowe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's Cameron Crowe. Did you watch it? Is it any good? No, I haven't seen it. The cast is really... I would watch it. That's one hell of a cast. All I remember of that movie is the controversy. What was the controversy? Oh, that uh, Emma Stone was playing a Hawaiian woman. Oh, um, those controversies. Yeah, but is that the last movie he did? Yeah, uh, he did an interview. I I recently revamped the Vanilla Sky article. Yep. And I caught an interview that he did with Vulture, I think it was, uh, that was conducted during COVID. It was like 2020 or 2021. And he mentioned that he was working on his next film. Um, so I don't know when we're going to get that, but he was actively like working on something. Okay. Um, well, so you and I have watched this movie about the same amount of times, even though you, you skipped through it a bunch. Um, and so walk me through it. What was your experience the first time? What were your expect- expectations going in? And then what was it like the second time? <laughs> uh, man. So I remember some of the trippy marketing for this film, especially the the empty Times Square, right? That was such a, mm-hmm. a heavily marketed kind of iconic thing. Even though it's like two seconds of the movie and it's at the yeah, very beginning. At the very beginning. <laughs> and I always remember kind of having a an allure about it like oh vanilla sky it's one of those movies and i don't know why i never watched it when i was younger especially because you know by 2001 i'd watched fight club and that had kind of blow my mind in terms of there's movies like this that exist that are all about identity crises like that's amazing i've been my favorite genre mm-hmm. <laughs> ever since and so Vanilla Sky would have been something that I was interested in, at least by the time I was in college. Uh, it surprised me that I never watched it. And I like Tom Cruise. It's It wasn't mm-hmm. something where I was against Tom Cruise. I'd watched Almost Famous at that point, so liked Cameron Crowe enough that I should have gone back and watched it. But for some reason, just never did. And I remember all the talk about Penelope Cruz reprising her role in both movies and how meta that was. Um, But for some reason, it just 
never was something that necessarily appealed to me. And then when I finally saw it, I was blown away, but not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I think for all the things that you would love about this movie, I was a l- not put off, but just perplexed. Like, this perplexed. Like this was the choice they made. This was the mm-hmm. choice they made. This choices. was the choice they made. <laughs> That's the thing that just kept going through my mind over and over as I watched this movie was being blown away by the fact that that was the choice. Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily mm-hmm. wrong or bad or that I would argue that it's mm-hmm. like, I still enjoyed the movie. There's a power to it, but I just couldn't get over the fact that it's such a weird movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're going to uh, talk about all this. And not weird in the way, like I, I look at American Psycho and I think American Psycho is so well done in walking that line tonally of having that little like bit of sarcasm to it, but being so grounded and serious where almost famous is the, <laughs> like if the oh, vanilla sky s- or yeah, vanilla sky is where you step, like just you lose that balance and you go a mm-hmm. little bit more absurd. That's where and you grab me. Yeah. That's where, you <laughs> that's where it we're going to talk about it. I, I, I have had a journey with this movie, Chris, like after I got done watching it this time, I was like, all right, I really liked it this time. Like I liked it a lot more. I liked it for more than it just being crazy. And the more I think about this movie, the more it's like, I don't know. I'm kind of locking into it. Like all the choices it's making. Like it's every time I think about something it's done and like think about the reasoning for it, like it's sort of tapping into like what I want movies to be doing and the places I want them to go. Like I'm having a, like an awakening with this movie. (laughs) I could see it being like legitimately, if not top five, top ten for you. Like that's yeah, that's uh, how much I was hmm. being like. This is a Travis movie. This I, I need Travis to talk movie. through a lot of this because like I don't think I would take it that far. Like no. I think I don't yeah. even. I'm not sitting here saying like it has like major flaws or anything. Um, I just don't know if it goes far enough in the direction I think it's going. Um to be as profound as other movies that are doing similar things. And we'll, we'll talk about all that, but, um, but just, that's my preview for this, that like all the things you're saying, like I get it, but it, 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 all of these moments that are too tonally weird for you or off. Like, I kind of think it's nailing what it's going for and it's achieving uh, a kind of energy that like you never really see in movies in a good way. (laughs) <laughs> you don't really see this energy <laughs> in movies. And no. I I think what was most jarring to me, and then we'll get into your uh, mm-hmm. history with it, is that the second time I watched the movie, I was even more perplexed because I think the first time I watched it, I didn't know how it was going to go. So I was just kind of buying into a lot of the... I was taking it more at face value in some ways. And then the second time I was watching it and knowing with how it's going and what it's doing, there was just even more like, huh? (laughs) So you remember the ending to this movie? Oh yeah. I remembered the ending. I really did. Very well. Okay. Like I remembered him on the rooftop and I remembered like, I kind of remember like what happened, I guess. Like I remembered the situation of, you know, Tom Cruise jumping off the building and everything. But I didn't really remember the context or like 
the cryogenic thing like totally um <laughs> like i knew all of those details were kind of there but that this time i was like oh like oh okay i i see what it's doing yeah yeah so i it's uh it was a perplexing but i it is straight like it made sense in hindsight because i felt like when i'd hear about this vanilla sky talked about it wasn't given the kind of praise that you would see for something like fight club american psycho uh right uh, these identity crisis movies from around the same time that were a bit tonally complex and it makes sense to me in hindsight because this is just so much weirder than those yeah i it's funny you're comparing it to all those movies i've been comparing it to a lot of movies but nothing like that like (laughs) the first movie vanilla sky reminded me of and it only happened right when it ended um because the last shot of this movie is an eye opening yeah and that shot is kind of the foundation of (laughs) this like practical existential crisis i'm having (laughs) like uh, analyzing this movie and thinking through what it's doing like it it was a very profound moment to me and it most reminds me of enter the void which is my favorite movie ever Mm. um because enter the void is a movie that uh i mean i i don't want to spoil i say spoil i don't want to spoil too much but like you kind of find out what the movie is right away um so it's this guy like goes on a drug trip he does uh is it dmt i I feel like i always get this wrong is that the acronym for the drug (laughs) yeah 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 okay he goes on a so basically this guy does drugs and then like some time passes he goes into this deep hypnotic trance time passes he wakes up and he goes out to do a drug deal where he's killed and then the rest of the movie you kind of float out of his body and ostensibly you're he's like existing in this like limbo state you're in his his spiritual state and he's reviewing his entire life like he's looking at the the present situation going on and like in the aftermath of his death then he goes back to like the beginning of his life and then he cruises into the future to see like what happens in the wake of his death um and you could view the whole movie that way that like that's actually happening or you could view that the whole movie was a drug trip and he's kind of evaluating himself so it's essentially a therapy session happening in real time um, and this drug is what allows him to reach this place. And uh, I love when movies do things like that. Like, I don't think that's too different than something like Mahone Drive does, where um, Diane goes to sleep and she has this whole dream of like what her life could have been in Hollywood, you know, and it, and everything that happens in that dream is just a reflection of the, the fears and desires she had as an actress in real life that she didn't realize. Um, I think Inland Empire does a similar thing as well, although we won't touch on that, Chris. It's very touchy territory <laughs> for you. Um, I love when movies do that kind of thing. Um, so uh, at the end of Vanilla Sky, those that's more of the vibe I was getting from this. I totally get what you mean when you mentioned something like Fight Club. Like I think it's doing that. But I there's something about Vanilla Sky that, it, it, you know, in Fight Club, like it's happening in the moment. Like nothing you see isn't happening uh but in vanilla sky everything either could have happened or could be a complete exaggeration of what happened and it's all reflective of what this guy's going through and so 
you know, that I at the end, like to me, that was kind of everything. And I don't know if you wrote about this in your piece. I, I probably should have read it ahead of time before we did this. How dare but, you? But uh, <laughs> I mean, this is going to be interesting, actually, because um, when I think about this movie, like everything I'm talking about, I'm I'm really, really thinking about the movie very philosophically in a broad sense. Like my connection to the movie, like I do enjoy how ridiculous it is, but I really, really just connect with like what it's saying, I think, uh, which is how I feel a hole and drive and enter the void like i can get into the nitty-gritty details like i like that stuff too but i'm mostly looking for just like a genuine broad connection with the movie so like when i think about vanilla sky that's what i think about like what the movie's saying on this bigger level um it'll be interesting to get like talk about that with you when you have such insight to like all of the little things that people have questions about and all of the odds and ends of this movie like the weird things that happen within like i feel like this discussion we're going to have can really expose what the movie's doing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. And so the first time you watched it, I have a point about the Enter the Void. Oh, okay. Uh, what you described with Enter the Void, I talk, I touch about it, a, I touch on it a little bit here in that yeah. I call it the Christmas Carol mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, kind of genre or structure where you have somebody able to reflect on their past, present, and future. Uh, the same sure. way that Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge gets to in A Christmas Carol. Bill Murray. It's just, <laughs> of course, of course. The uh, the mechanism by which that happens, you know, in the, it's not Mark Twain, no, Charles Dickens yeah. uh, version is the ghosts coming and visiting. But the thing about art is that you can just take that variable and flip it out to something different. So a drug trip is the thing that enables this investigation into past, present or future, or in this case, cryogenic freezing <laughs> is this thing that allows you to explore your past, present and future in a way that changes how you view yourself. And it's a cool subgenre. I can't think of, I know that there's more movies that I've, talked about doing this but i can't think of any scrooge off my head screw <laughs> scrooge. um i can't think of any off my uh, off the top of my head at the moment but ghost of girlfriends past yes yes absolutely but, ghost of girlfriends past i mean it seems pretty spot on right <laughs> it pretty much uses that exact formula yeah um so it is fascinating that that genre um, that you picked up on the the commonalities between those mm-hmm. movies that like the core of that narrative structure being there. It makes me want to like put a list together of movies that are doing that and be like, Travis, what do you think of this one? Travis, what do you think of this one? Mm-hmm. Like maybe this is your favorite subgenre and you didn't know it. Yeah. Um, I, and that's, it's an interesting way to think about, I, I mean, I guess inherently oh, this, drive. Yeah. Yeah. I guess this I is inherently that. what um, Christmas Carol is doing, but you know, the whole Christmas Carol scenario happens 
and you can think of it all as just like this guy in a fever state like this this crazy vision he has some dream he has that is just allowing him to look at himself and his life and rethink everything mm-hmm. and obviously that's what we're talking about with enter the void mahal and drive uh fight club in a sense um but so at the end of vanilla sky like that's what i just kept thinking about because of that eye because if the movie is that it it opens up a lot of possibilities for what the end of the movie is actually doing um on a plot level but no matter what it's doing on a plot level I feel like it speaks to something much larger. So like maybe when he opens his eye at the end, he's waking back up in this cryogenic state and he's ready to restart that this life that he, uh, this point in his life he wanted to relive. Or the, the what just keeps grabbing me, and I don't know if there, there's not really any foundation for this. Uh, the movie doesn't give any clues that this, it could be doing this, but there's a, because the movie's not giving any clues, like anything is possible at the end <laughs> uh so in my mind like the way i've i think the reason i connected this movie so much is i just think at the end the eye opens and everything was part of a dream since the movie is so heavy on like not being able to differentiate dream and reality like in my mind he wakes up at the end and it's just tom cruise back in his regular life he's this privileged kid he's been handed this company and he and everything that happened in that dream is just a reflection of who he is and the life he wants to live. Like Cameron Diaz, like she's acting so ridiculous in the movie that like <laughs> it doesn't feel real. Um, which again is why I don't mind the energy of this movie. And I, I just think at the end, like I don't, I don't think we're supposed to think any of this is real. Like I, I feel like we're just supposed to look at Cameron Diaz and think like, oh, like that's a representation of this guy who's like who's realizing he's living a trivial life and he's not finding real love like with a woman he could find of Penelope Cruz, you know, and he's thinking about how he treats his friends and he's thinking about the what he values, like his materialism. Like, I, I just think that the end just, and I love when movies do that, when like a single moment or scene can make you completely rethink a movie. Uh, obviously, I won't be able to come up with any good examples right now, but uh, I love when narratives do that kind of thing and it really opens up it just it just makes what the movie can be about so fluid and i just think that's a beautiful thing art can do is just turn a story into like whatever you want it to be and have it reflect to whatever you're going through you know uh mad god phil tippett has <laughs> said that the movie essentially came to him in like a flash or a vision which nice. seemed to be why he had the eye opening at the beginning and the eye closing at the end nice was to show like kind of give the movie that frame of this was a vision which i think we might have talked about a little bit on the podcast episode yeah a little bit but similar concept here that eye opening at the end does have huge implications for that duality of did he wake up from the cryogenics and he's been asleep for 150 years is it just him waking up from a dream that is going to have major implications on how (laughs) he views the rest of his life that's also possible uh, Cameron Crow in the vulture interview was a bit ca- more candid about the end okay not entirely he was forthcoming in a way saying like it's purposefully a little muddied and that we can't necessarily believe everything that tech support is saying at right. the end 
when he's just like, this was your funeral and, you know, Penelope. Yeah. Uh, Sophia was like so heartbroken. <laughs> um, how much of that is wishful thinking or giving the customer what they want to hear or just him still having power over the dream versus the actual facts about what's going on. So there's a, there's a bit of having to hedge against that information as well. He also said that personally, whenever he rewatches the movie becomes more convinced that it's all, uh, what's the character's name? Brian's book that Tom Cruise is just like a character in Brian's book. Oh. And that all of it is just like part of this novel. Gosh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Which that's such a thin like yeah. I get where he's coming from, I don't but like that's that. one of those things, yeah, you can't really defend because just because a character mentions I'm writing a book, you can't then point to it and be like, see, it was the book the whole time. <laughs> Wait, like, so Cameron Crowe said like that could be what the movie is? He said whenever he watches the movie or uh -huh. each time he watches the movie, he becomes more convinced that it's just all Brian's book. <laughs> the guy who made the movie is still trying to figure out what the movie's about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Very good. Yeah. I, I admire mean, I that guess, to an extent to, to be bold enough to say that. I guess some of it, like because he's remaking Abrelos Ojos... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. open your eyes maybe there's something to where like that's a part of the original movie and then he's kind of like you know maybe that was the interpretation of the original movie since this is his interpretation of that movie oh wow but layers I don't know if I haven't watched the original um, so I don't know if the Brian character in that movie is it a writer if that was something that he just added in uh put that twist on it that like he's working on a novel is the movie his novel yeah um so we have all that but i the thing that jumped out to me on the rewatch is that i didn't think it mattered so much whether or not what the situation was at the end if he was waking up back in the present day you know people have theorized that he the car crash happened and he's waking up from a coma from the car crash sure or that it's him waking up from the surgery to fix his face uh that that's actually the <laughs> yeah the it could be of any of those <laughs> which i don't think either of those make a lot of sense yeah because i think if it was either of those you would continue the movie a bit more in the aftermath of it or show like see he was just on the operating table yeah, no, um, that doesn't make much sense. But the ultimate point is a coming-of-age story. Mm -hmm. That we see David go from somebody that was, even though he was in his 30s, a little stunted, a little childish still, and not taking life or himself or his relationships all that seriously. And that what he goes on is this journey of growing up a bit. And reaching the point where he's willing to re-enter the world to deal with it on a realistic level, even if it means that he doesn't have the resources that he had, that he has to do some heavy lifting mm. because he's no longer this wealthy, wealthy person to get back on his feet and to make a name for himself. It feels like it's kind of somebody realizing that their 20s are over 
and that they need to get on with the rest of their life in a way that's not just carefree but a little more purposeful a little more determined which gets back at what you were saying with how he was treating um cameron diaz julie versus Mm -hmm. knowing that he could have an actual relationship out there with somebody that's like he's in love with yeah and i think the casualness of how he's treating julie to understanding he wants something deeper with sophia embodies the overall character journey of going from somebody that's just like i have a mansion let's party to yeah i want to i want to do something with my life and i like that it's done i just like the way that it's done like it goes from something as simple as like kurt russell's character dr curtis like that he's just talking to this guy and like working through all these things and realizing these things. But then at the end you realize Kurt Russell isn't real. You know, he can't even name his daughter's names. And uh, Dave, is it David? Yeah. David. <laughs> I should have these names pulled up. Um, like has realizes in that moment, that like n- nobody was there like helping him work things. Like these are all recreations of his imagination like these are all people he's manifested like he had the power to come to terms of all these things all along and the movie's really empowering in that way like again like that's what i love about this movie is that i i love that it's as open-ended as it is and that like nothing's really explained and everything is just so fluid like it 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 exists in this weird like reality fiction lot between this reality fiction line and like you don't know like what's crossing over and like what's real and like what is it and like what's manifested and it's i don't know it's i just think it's so interesting to like make a movie like this like i guess you could argue to an extent that it only is like this because it isn't that well thought out like it doesn't sound like Cameron Crowe even knows what the movie's about <laughs> like like who, whose story is who and like where the story begins and everything like okay but because of that like it allows the movie to become what it is and you know I'm sitting here comparing it to Enter the Void and Mulholland Drive like I think Vanilla Sky is still is still its own thing like it's different than those movies even like because it's so Mulholland Drive to me is like makes perfect sense like i understand that movie i understand what the story is and like where the fiction and reality are i i don't question it at all vanilla sky like i truly have no idea and i think that's fascinating (laughs) i personally after much investigation i think everything we see except for the eye opening is dream and yeah the question then is how much of it ever was like a recreation, like how much was him actually reliving events versus not reliving events? Like, was his father really this publishing magnate? Did, was he really in a car crash that caused this? Is all of that accurate? And he's reliving these events after having other dreams where he (laughs) wasn't reliving these events. I don't know, but I do know that when he drives his car out of the you have the opening scene where he drives through Times mm-hmm. Square and it's empty and he runs which the story behind that is pretty fascinating. I was wondering about how they did that. So Tom Cruise went and pitched Rudy Giuliani personally. Whoa. And I think back in the day I would have just been like oh, well yeah it's Tom Cruise talking to Rudy Giuliani but now that I know that Rudy Giuliani is such an attention <laughs> whore <laughs> It makes so much sense why Tom Cruise going personally would have him be like, I will shut this whole 
yeah damn city down for you Tom. absolutely uh so tom cruise went and talked to rudy giuliani personally they initially got denied until tom went and did that of course and then they had a permit and i think it was just a film from like 4 a.m to 10 a.m it was wow, something that's like a long that. time yeah during they rush got, hour uh yeah they got started like super early um maybe it ended at like seven eight or nine like something like that but Uh i thought it was seven hours and they had the early period to start getting equipment set up and they said it was weird like walking in and seeing that they had been blocked all the streets had been blocked off all the way around and how quiet it was and that the city had done like a really great job for it and tom was really nervous because cameron crow apparently often took his time with a lot of scenes <laughs> and had them redo scenes. It was it just, we blocked it all out. One take, let's go. It was, well, let's try this and let's try this. So <laughs> apparently Tom was like telling Cameron, we're going to practice this and we're going to practice this and we're going to practice it. <laughs> so when we get in there, we're not messing around with anything. And they spent like a couple weeks after they had already done other filming or other like pre-production stuff then going over the shot over and over again so when the day finally came they had everything ready knew exactly what they were doing and they were so far ahead of schedule that they still had a couple hours left and were just like well what do we do now (laughs) i would just completely own it and run around that's exactly what happened (laughs) tom cruise looked at him and said i can run (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Cameron Crowe was like, yeah, you, you're a great runner. I've seen you run. Let's, let's. When let's we were run. watching the movie, I think we were making the joke, my wife and I were making the joke of like, I bet Tom Cruise had it in his contract that like he has to run in this movie. Like, I feel like that's such a co- Tom Cruise thing to like run right at the camera. Yeah. He's like, I know what the audience wants. He's got a great movie run. I'll, I'll give it to him. It's one of the best things when you know he's about to take off, when you see him hit that. Like athletic stance just yeah. before taking off like dead reckoning the moment he ran i was just like ah it's a Tom I'm, cruise i haven't movie. seen it but he runs in every mission possible movie so oh yeah so yeah it's just even better to me that he recommended he's like oh we have some time to kill what should we do he's like i'll run <laughs> get a camera uh, so run. i was right yeah so all the running scenes were just the extra stuff that they <laughs> filmed wow. because they just had time I love that about Tom Cruise. Like, he's so, like, when I watch this movie, I believe that, like, he believes in this movie, you know? Like, I feel like he understands what it's doing. He's He seems so gung-ho and committed and motivated to make it work. Like, like you know, again, all this ridiculous energy in the movie, like him and Jason Lee, like, slapping each other and, like, laughing in the car, <laughs> then almost dying, you know? Like, it's just, the energy is, like, so insane. Um, but, like, He's doing it like Tom Cruise doesn't have to do that. Tom Cruise can just be Tom Cruise, you know, but whenever he gets of Cameron Crowe, it, it is pretty similar to Jerry Maguire, like how these adults act around each other. Like, these adults act like teenagers around each other, just like how like hyper they are and like giddy they are and emotional they can be like, I, I love that he's able to channel that energy. Yeah, he definitely channels it well i think him playing the kind of uh, stunted young adult Mm -hmm. he's really leaning into that energy too and that positivity 
Um, but he does, you can really tell that he's going for it. I also feel like I have the, it's just not, it's not an actual theory. It's just my little, like, fun belief that he saw Leonardo DiCaprio do Man in the Iron Mask. It was like, oh, Leo did a movie where he has a mask and all these all, all these people went wild for it. He's the heartthrob now. I'm going to do a movie with a mask. I'll be the hot heartthrob. Even though he had just done a movie where he wore a mask. Which one? Oh, Mission Impossible 2? Uh, no. Eyes, well, yeah, every Mission Impossible movie, of course. But I meant Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. So when that earlier, was... when you were like, Penelope Cruz reprised her role from this movie, I was like, Tom Cruise reprised his role from Eyes Wide Shut. I think they exist in the same universe. <laughs> uh, I forgot about Eyes so Wide what Shut. So what if the whole movie is, I don't remember that character's name, him in a dream? Oh, Eyes Wide Shut in a dream? <laughs> yeah. I'm down. <laughs> It's just a previous a previous version of the 150 year dream that Tom Cruise was having in Vanilla Sky. Absolutely. Uh, oh, so what I was saying about the car, we have the scene where he's driving through New York, but then the scene after that where he is driving out and about and like looking around and there's regular traffic and he's kind of smiling like this is the city I know. Yeah. Uh, the registration sticker on his car. Mm-hmm. It says February 30th, which is a completely made-up date, right? You can't have a registration oh, wow. sticker that says February 30th. Good catch. So with Cameron Crowe also saying that there's little hints throughout the movie about what's really going on, I think that's one of those... I mean, it could just be like 555, right? Mm-hmm. You put it on there because you just need a number, but you're not using something real. But I think given what this movie's doing seeing that it says february 30th is one of those little things like that's supposed to be the real world in quotes and i think it's a sign that that's very much part of the dream i god you're just convincing me more and more like i love this movie i i think that's awesome i again i love when movies are bold like that is like one of my number one things that i love about movies and like it is a bold ass move that your entire movie is a dream like sometimes movies do that in like an annoying way you know where it's just like that lame reveal that you've seen a million times but there's something about the way this movie does it It, i'm thinking about not that these movies are comparable at all but i love the movie the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie and one of my favorite things about it is like the movie constantly reveals that what you've watching what you're watching is a dream um, and it does it in this very funny way. Like the the timing of it is always so perfect. And like you, even though it keeps happening, like you never expect it. Um, and it, I just think that when a movie is able to do the whole thing was a dream move in a f- new and refreshing way, like uh, Vanilla Sky, the, to have at the end the eye to open and you just be like, oh, wait a minute. Like it all was a dream. Like even the moments where like he knew part of it was a dream was a dream. Like it, it becomes like this very, I don't know. It was just like a, I had a visceral reaction to it where like, I wasn't ready for it. And like when I, because I wasn't ready for it, I, I knew it was something like different that I hadn't seen before. And it, it, and what it really forces you, the, and the way in which it forces you to reevaluate everything, like felt new to me. Like, I don't know. I, I was just kind of blown away by such a, 
such a big choice like that at the very end to like pull the rug from underneath you that like man I, that's all i have to say is like i'm just kind of blown away by it <laughs> i do i do wish part of me is just like and then what what does he wake up to is it the 150 years later is he waking up and humans aren't even like we look stranger are we taller are we shorter is the technology crazy and weird is it the completely the same like what's he wake up to or is it the regular world like i just want like a little hint uh, what of what's next that i think that would completely ruin oh it. no yeah absolutely i think that's part of like the excitement is like you really want like what and then it ends it doesn't give you it which is fun but i i want it you maybe know? a post-credit scene i want it a thor hammer moment but yeah, I think it's the right choice not to not to show it. But I think I think I the choice to not show it kind of like what we're talking about with Mad God, like it it makes the film about whatever you want it to be about. Like it it becomes this moment where like you're waking you're waking up to something like everything wasn't real. And it's all just like a reflection of like something somebody's thinking about. It's just uh, it's such a universal way to approach a narrative that I love. And did uh, have you watched Jules and Jim? I have watched Jules and Jim, and I love it. Yeah, I just kept. I always get excited when I see the. That was the first. I think it was the first movie I watched in <laughs> a film class in college. Oh, really? Yeah, and I watched it recently. I think it was the first example of French. Like that era of French cinema, so French, that I ever watched as well, mm. and I don't know why I always think of it as I saw this little known movie, <laughs> and then whenever I see it in Vanilla Sky, I'm like, oh, Jules and Jim, I get exactly it's Cameron Diaz, it's Jules and Jim, like she's even called Julie, it's Julie, oh my god, and but it has to be something that every single movie person in the world, <laughs> yeah, that reference <laughs> kind of like, like Breathless as well. Ah, Breathless. And then uh, the movie that's playing on the TV at the beginning is a Audrey Hepburn movie. Oh, um, they played The Kill a Mockingbird, right? Is that the conversation of like... Yeah, the Gregory Peck. A what a father it could be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at the beginning, it's... Uh, oh. Sabrina. Oh, Sabrina. I was going to guess. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense that dress that Gosh. she's in. I had to ask on Twitter. I was just like, anybody know I, what movie this is I from? I don't remember that. Um, it's the TV when he first wakes up in the the morning. It's like the opening shot of the movie after the flying through yeah. the sky and we go into the apartment. There's a TV playing in his bedroom right before he wakes up. I love all that stuff about Cameron Crowe movies like because he was a writer for Rolling Stone and everything like he loves music so he just like unabashedly throws in all the bands he likes and like references to people he likes and then all the stuff you know like it's such a putting jewels and gem and a breathless poster in a movie like that's something I would have done my like freshman year of college if I wrote a screenplay <laughs> like I love that he just he doesn't really care he just kind of like keeps owning that like I love movies and music mentality I honestly have grown to dislike the overuse of pop music in <laughs> movies. So I couldn't tell if it was something. Okay. I couldn't tell if the use of the music was something where he 
was actively like, this is cool, this is good, I'm just going to keep stringing these songs along, or if it was a little tongue-in-cheek, like, I'm using these songs, but I know that tonally it's a little... Yeah. I think it's a little bit of goofy, both. Like, purposefully goofy, because the movie, like, tonally is so... It's leaning so heavily into the rom-com aspects at the beginning as kind of to pull the rug out from under you. Yeah. But part of me is also like, is it? (laughs) Is it? I, I, you know, one of the things, again, I love about this movie and, you know, going, this isn't really going beyond all that broad philosophical stuff, I guess. Like, I love in terms of the broad philosophical stuff, just like what the movie's saying, but the energy of the movie and just how we keep talking about how ridiculous it is. Like something as simple as like playing the same songs over and over and like this over used soundtrack and just how present it is. Like, I love that. Like I, I love that like, to make a choice like that, something that's so atypical and so noticeable and like kind of like jerks you and like makes you recognize that it's happening. But to me, that's, it's this combination of, a grabbing you and like making you pay attention to it and you know having the kind of thoughts you're having like is this supposed to be ridiculous like is it supposed to like make me realize that everything is exaggerated and not real but also just aesthetically the stylistically the choice to do that and like make something so your own and so different than anything you've seen like i love any time a movie does that like one of my favorite movies is tammy and the t-rex which is a movie where paul walker turns turns into a robotic t-rex and has a love story with denise richards like it's so insane that like i love that it goes to like this insane place that i know i'll never see a movie go like to me that is it is so inspiring to see people who were like who are making movies that are supposed to make money and supposed to have audiences <laughs> and people are supposed to like it like making such insane choices uh i just i get all these warm feels thinking about people like going out there and just doing it like putting out a movie like this and not being afraid of people laughing at it <laughs> i mean there is an admirable quality to that I personally, the music thing, it's something I noticed with the Suicide Squad, James Gunn's Mm -hmm. films, where it's just, and that is not tongue in cheek. That is very serious, very much like, this is a great choice. (laughs) I, people are going to love this, that, (laughs) and I think I like James Gunn as a filmmaker, but I really have gotten tired of how he uses music in movies. The Suicide Squad is where I first noticed it. And then even Guardians 3, which I liked, I just wanted him to stop doing, like, chaining together pop songs as a means of, like, hyping up the crowd. Yeah. I think it was uh, Black Adam, the rock movie, did something similar where I was just like, there's no reason to be playing this song right now. Like, you just played... Metalla or whatever mm-hmm. Aerosmith do you really have to now go into a song from Chinese Democracy oh, what's the album <laughs> called Guns N' Roses uh, Chinese Doc- Democracy is the name of the album yeah that's right and then Guns N' Roses is the band I, it's just uh, but I do enjoy the Vanilla Sky uses it a little more like hey y'all <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing about that is 
because that energy's there and especially it's so present for the first like 30 45 minutes of the movie like it's such a ridiculous movie yeah that you're really i was anyway really taken by how serious it gets um and how life or death it kind of becomes um from you know tom cruise trying to convince this guy that like he didn't kill this woman that he didn't commit a murder um to just him reflecting on these moments from his life like the moment where um thomas tip is that his name (laughs) uh his like advisor guy um like helped helped him in the moment where like the the board was like trying to kick david off you know from running the company and like they have this moment where they're crying and like holding each other like there are all these moments like that throughout that feel like they don't belong with this movie like if i was like be able to take a step back and be like it doesn't really match the energy at the beginning of the movie but like but they work because they're so removed from that and they hit so hard even though like you don't have a ton of foundation for those moments you know like th- th- it almost happens in like a montage you see like um uh the the technical guy who's the guy at the tech support yeah tech support <laughs> like revealing to him like what happened like you know you're just seeing it in a flash yet like it hits and it works like the characters have been flushed out enough and like you've understood the situation enough that like you get why this moment's impactful i just think that's really impressive i did not find it impactful really but man it I'm was glad you did i was really just like i was in it i was in this movie like i, <laughs> I, I was there like i understood everything i really really loved David as a character and like everything he was going through and how disoriented he felt um, and how desperate he was to understand his situation and like prove his innocence in quotes when really like it's all just a metaphor for him coming to terms of like who he is and like the kind of life he does want to lead it's I don't know I was there yeah that's okay so that's my I forget the word for it to what I had said, uh, the not contradiction, but uh-huh. the little addendum. I forget what you call it, but I didn't care much about the subplot of Thomas tip helping him. And he saved the company because I don't think the company was developed all that great, but with what it represents on the whole and the catharsis he's feeling. And when you can point to that as being just, embodying the stress that was in his life Mm -hmm. and the fear that he had and what it means for Thomas tip to help him on that emotional catharsis that he's having in this string of cathartic moments and these string of victories that prepare him to jump off that building and Mm -hmm. return to the world that I like. So I like the, I like the broader aspects of it. You say you didn't like how they didn't develop the company enough. I as like a subplot that I'm okay. invested in, I don't think the, the company see. stuff was all that interesting. But as a symbol for yes. the <laughs> the strife in David's life and the catharsis that he gets at the end and what it represents to him, on like that level that I'm guessing you're thinking of it. Yes. I, I like it. I mean, right now I'm sitting here like I feel you're directly speaking to what I like about this movie and what I want movies to be doing in general. And, you know, what you're saying about, like, fleshing out the company more, like, that is a choice a movie can make. 
And if this movie did that, I'm not denying that it could lead down several profound roads and maybe open up David's character a little bit more. But I guess I'm in the camp of like, is it necessary? Like, that's where I'm at with a lot of movies. And like, I love when a movie can just be efficient like this and still hit in the way it needs to without going down these roads that aren't always very necessary. Um, I think this movie, I'm realizing that now as we're talking about it, like it does it pretty perfectly. It, It just kind of hits the areas it needs to for the ending to have impact. And I guess in that way, I just find it very coalesced. Like as much as it feels scattershot and all over the place, like to me, everything is done very purposely and, and fits. Yeah. I was there, was there a character who's your favorite character and who is your least favorite character? Um, or I guess moment, favorite moment, least favorite moment. <laughs> you know what, what moment? And I don't even know why I like this moment so much other than like, it was just so bizarre. Um, was the moment where Tom Cruise meets up with, um, I just keep calling it by their actor names, deal with it. Yeah. Jason Lee and Penelope Cruz in the club. And he reenacts the first conversation he has with Sophia. Oh my God. Um, it's so I've awkward. thought about that moment a lot. Like I, I, I have spent a little bit of time trying to like figure out what it means, but I, I feel like that kind of just me sitting here trying to figure out like what that moment represents. I feel like goes against what it inherently represents. Like it is kind of just powerful as it is that this guy is struggling and he doesn't know what else to do in this moment than recreate the exact situation he had with this woman back when his life was so much better ostensibly. So he thinks his life was so much better. And it's just this moment of like reckoning for him. And I mean, it's one way to think of that scene that way, but uh, to again, think about the whole movie as a dream or to think of that moment as just part of something that happened to him before a dream, like like the layers, like the roads it goes down. Like, I don't know. I just find that moment very bizarre in a, in a profound way that I, I wish I could like, I wish I could realize exactly what was happening in the movie. So I knew how to read it, read it and everything. <laughs> but it's perfect uh, because I don't know how, like I kind of like it more for that. I, I, to me, the, the main reason to have a scene like that is for the juxtaposition that contrast between we saw how like their chemistry sure, yeah. at the party and then it shows how low he is at the moment and, and just the change in character in a, a way that this thing that was sweet and charming has now become really uh, crushing to watch unfold it, but it, that's it like it's that's a crazy thing to achieve from the from the writing of it and like even imagining the situation and having to watch Tom Cruise have his face look like that while he's doing it to Tom Cruise's actual performance of it. He does it so like he's so committed to it. It's just yeah. I just man that in the moment, I think my jaw was just dropped the whole time that scene was happening <laughs> when it also captures the whole movie right where it goes from dream to nightmare mm-hmm. we see the dream version of it then we see the nightmare version of it absolutely and then we kind of get it again at the very end yeah where he is much more confidently himself and saying the cat line to her one more time <laughs> love that what was your favorite part 
Uh, Kurt Russell freaking out at the end. That was really good. He, Kurt Russell's just, he's a star, man. I could watch him do anything. <laughs> just him being like, what? Having his, like, I would watch a movie that's him dealing, <laughs> like, yeah. just still being in the dream and being like, well, what do I do now? Or my life's over. I guess his life would just be over. The dream would have continued. But I would watch it if the dream did continue. Um, but his, like, freak out and them including that, even uh, Cam, you know, that's how we refer to him. Friend of the show, friend of the show. No, no, Cameron Crow oh. in that interview was saying that he would... If he could redo the movie, he would let Kurt Russell do a bit more at the end. <laughs> Absolutely. Give that guy more material in every movie he's in. Yeah. So that I think that part was just how almost tone breaking it was when the movie is kind of falling apart. And not in like the movies falling apart, but the world right. as we've known it in the movies. Like he's looking around and it's like he's seeing the cameras, he's seeing how fake this world is and just to see kurt russell's performance go from the serious doctor to just being like ah what the hell like this okay are you kidding me like ah yeah is really funny to me it kind of reminds me i'm not i don't think it's i'm not making a direct comparison between the two but it just kind of reminds me of some of the the tone shift at the end of the holy mountain which is <laughs> like this I is mean, a movie. Those are the kinds of movies I think of when I think about Vanilla Sky. So, yeah. When I ask Cameron Crow, be like Cam. I mean, The Holy Mountain is one of my favorite movies too. So we're running them down. <laughs> uh, but that was definitely that was definitely my favorite part. And I just I do like thinking about how audiences and theaters had to have been feeling in the first thirty minutes of this movie. Uh, yeah. When it initially came out, before all the, before people start spoiling it, it becomes a thing of, uh, like you know that there's the twist. Just audiences must have been sitting there, like, what is happening? I mean, it is exaggerated. It, it it almost feels like it's spoofing in a way. Yeah, but it really, okay, again, it is exaggerated, but it really isn't that different than a lot of like late '90s, early 2000s like rom coms. Like no. a lot of them have energy like that where you're watching a bunch of adults like act like kids kind of um, I, I I know what you mean. Like I, I know a lot of people would be turned off by that energy, but I almost feel like the energy that like if you could go back to 2001, like maybe it wouldn't seem as crazy. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's something where people would have been turned off more so of just been like, <laughs> wait, what? wait what, what is, is this, this movie again <laughs> yeah what did i walk into the wrong movie like how are they marketing this just the <laughs> it's just so totally i don't think what people were expecting from the trailer or yeah. what i was expecting just from what i had heard were i like i get a i get a big kick out of that yeah and then uh tilda swinton i think really oh, stands yeah. out in the few minutes that she has i i saw that she was in this movie and then i went in excited and then like forgot about her and she shows up at the very end i was like oh yeah and i was so excited yeah i get to see her talk at south by southwest this year um i, I imagine that must be spellbinding <laughs> she just seems awesome. like such an interesting person yeah it was really she doesn't she doesn't think of herself as an actor Mm -hmm. which is interesting like it's not the thing that she i mean she does it but 
she was saying that she doesn't really call herself a, an actor that really she only got into it because her friends were doing it and it was a way to hang out with her friends mm. and that still to this day it's something that she does because she wants to spend time with certain people hmm. um, that if you were to take out that community aspect of it that she wouldn't do it at all hmm. interesting yeah it was it was fascinating to hear her talk about it apparently she did a an interview at south by like 10 years ago or something and so it was the same guy interviewing her and kind of running down some follow-up questions or doing this here we are you know these years later where are you at at this point how do you feel about it now so it was very reflective very fascinating uh she used my pen to sign an autograph for someone else that must have been a highlight of the whole experience yeah just like reaching out like okay here's my pen did she use a pen <laughs> to sign you an autograph no i did not get close enough it was i think it was the girl that was in front of me didn't have a pen and looked back and i was just like here take mine and then pro move got the sign but other people were handing like able to hand their things directly to her and not me oh wow so tilda swinton didn't even know she was using your pen no, she wasn't like, oh, this is Chris's pen. Wow. Still, were, were, did you receive the pen back? Oh, yeah. It's right. it's like in my hand right now. So the electrons have passed between you and Tilda Swinton. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah, it's the, the pen I use for my little like notebook. So nice. it's just kind of near me quite often. Wow. Um, That's why you have such an alluring energy. Yeah. This pen has been in the hands of many and it just <laughs> takes their powers wow <laughs> it's the lamest superhero movie i've ever heard pitched. <laughs> i get my charm and charisma by having people use this pen to sign things yeah but you also get like all the bad traits from all the shitty people yeah yeah like hey man can i use that pen to uh i don't know <laughs> close down this hospital and orphanage in order to build a so you're rob Bogoyevich. who rob Bogoyevich, the the former governor of illinois who trump pardoned uh he, he's famous for he wanted someone to pay for obama's senate seat when he left oh and then he he one of the other scandalous things he did and i would say a, a little bit worse than demanding money for a senate seat is he took money away from a children's hospital to cover something for himself. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> That's all you need to know is that he took money from a children's hospital. Yeah, see, I would not let him use that pen. <laughs> no matter how awkward it got, like, just let me use the pen. It's like, no, because then I'm going to have your shitty qualities. <laughs> I, I have to put this out there, by the way, because, Chris, you, I, it seems you don't know who Rob Bogoyevich is. Um, but for anybody who does, I have a story about him. And I know this is not what we're here to do, but I have to tell the story because I just remembered it. And it was one of the craziest things that happened to me that he lives in the city of Chicago now. Um, and he has a very um, notable voice. Like he has a very strange voice. Um, he sounds like a politician, I guess, like an old timey politician. He, it just sounds like somebody's constantly doing an impression of him, but no, it's him. Um, and we were out one day, I was walking around the streets with my friend and he was like, oh yeah, Rogboyevich lives right over here and I was like really and I was like man um and I found out that Rob Bogoyevich 
had a podcast, <laughs> which I thought was crazy that like after going to jail for doing terrible things and then being parted by Trump that like he wanted to have a podcast. I was like, what kind of audience do you think you're going to have? Um, and then I made this joke as I was I'm making this joke out loud as we're walking up to his house. And I'm like, man, like and I may have been a little drunk at this point. Why? Why I was being so loud. And I was like, I would love to go in front of Rod Magulievich's house and blast his podcast. <laughs> like, I don't know why. I just thought that would be the funniest thing to just like play his podcast super loud and he can't do anything about it. And as I'm saying this, a guy comes out from like the driveway of the house and it's Rod Blagojevich. Oh. And he's running and he starts running right at me. And I'm like, and it, it takes me a second. I'm like, wait, that that's him. And he's going by me and he's like, hey, guys, <laughs> and hearing his voice just sent me into an absolute like fever state. Like I couldn't handle it. Like I I had a complete crisis on my hands. I had no idea like how to differentiate between reality and like, you know, whatever weird ethereal realm <laughs> I had stepped into. Um, and I was just like, hey. And I and I didn't recover for like twenty minutes. I I was just I was completely thrown off, and it was just one of the strangest. Like, it was the closest I probably ever gotten to somebody that despicable. <laughs> yeah, what what a strange thing for him just to. It would be like you're just getting to go uh, to go food from the restaurant, and the person yeah. that you hold the door for that's like yes. leaving the restaurant is OJ, and OJ is just like thank you. You're like, you're welcome by it. <laughs> yeah, what do you say? I mean, you like, can't, like, be... I mean, you can't be a dick, but, like, what am I going to do? Not say hot to Rob Bogoyevich? Like, he's very nice to me. He's just... He's being polite. And the first... When you're taken aback like that, the first reaction is just yeah. to be like, hi. Bro, yeah, <laughs> or robot like, respond. You're welcome. And you're like, did that just... What the hell? Yeah. What? So, that anyway... Was, for all for all the Rod Blagojevich fans out there, there's a story. Rod Blagojevich, what? Well, now he has a very striking haircut. He's he's very Trumpian. I, the haircut really. It reminds me of when we were at the Toronto Film Festival, <laughs> and we were standing in line. If, if, I don't know if anybody's even listening at this point, but when <laughs> Travis and I first started talking because we were bonding over. Uh, Rex Reed writing an article about the yeah. movie 5050. Oh, yeah. And how horrible that review was that he just didn't understand the movie, was criticizing the movie for not exploring new drugs that could help treat cancer. Uh, he also said he walked out of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the first thing that Travis and I ever talked about because we both wrote articles about it and he found mine, commented. I read his, we started talking. Uh, but when we went to the Toronto Film Festival in 2013, it was our first time ever being at a film festival and we're just kind of standing there in line for a, a screening. And Rex Reed came walking around the corner right oh, yeah. past Hunched us. over. And we were joking, like, are we going to see Rex Reed? Are we going to see him? And then right there, and there was no mistaking like rex reed is a very loud person in how he dresses <laughs> um very like style centric and so it's bright colors like he walked pretty fast if i remember correctly right yeah he was just like scurrying by like the little rat yeah. is yeah just and he 
I'm sure he went. He went going past, and we're just like, that was Rex Reed. That was him. That was bizarre. Yeah, but he's kind of our like film critic villain. Voldemort. Yeah, he's the Voldemort of film criticism to us. So to have been so close to him in the wild was also very strange. And and like Voldemort, and I align of Harry Potter in this way, I'm not afraid to say his name. (laughs) Rex Reed. (laughs) Although if I say it three times, he'll show up, so I won't be doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a best practice. <laughs> it's just best practice. Uh, Where are we so at? Wi- rankings? Are we at rankings? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Rankings. Um, do you have it ranked yet? Uh, I can check and see if I do. Okay, I definitely don't because I just watched it. Did you now? Yeah, I have it ranked. All right, give it to me. So I have it in the positives category. Nice. Uh, which is right above neutral. So that's kind of like a six out of 10 to me. But I love these sexy sca- uh, s- sections you have for your movies. Positives. Positives. Like the positives outweigh the negatives. But I do think that there's a, a bit of a fight going on between yeah. the two of them. Uh, so I have it at 92 out of 149. Okay. And it is right above Talk to Me, the recent A24 movie, and just below Fast Five. Okay. So f- for as much praise as I'm giving this movie, I'm still at a I'm in this in-between state of like I don't know if it's quite achieving what I want it to as a whole. Like it's definitely like sending me down a hell of a trail as I think about it. Um but I don't I guess I don't know if I would go as far as to say like the movie itself is tr- achieving like this transcendent mode. That I that I'm that I think a lot of movies do as I'm looking at my list. You know, I look at something like Nightcrawler. I'm like, I love Vanilla Sky. I might connect with it a little bit more, but like, do I think it's as good as Nightcrawler and like exploring its themes as well? Like, probably not. Um, so I'm going I'm going down the list a little bit to see how far it would go down. I think I'm in the like hundred forty ish region. So that would be around like Tenet, Black Swan. Uh, I'm looking at all the movies in this section. I'm trying to pick movies that people have actually seen. <laughs> it's a bunch of old <laughs> movies people have never heard of. Licorice Pizza. Like, I think it's, it's, it has that for me. I'm like, I really like it. I connect with it. I think it's really well done. And it's better than most movies I see. So I've seen. So, you know, my list is a 420 something movies long now. So, you know, being around 140, that's in the top third. Yeah, that's... uh that's decent yeah we're like to me it's in the like i have it in the bottom half yeah yeah yeah. which uh, honestly i expected you to rank it lower <laughs> really i don't know you every time you mention this movie you seem to have uh, i've never been able to read your energy properly but it, it almost feels like you're saying like this movie yeah hmm like you, you just like really were just annoyed by it the whole time like you could recognize that it was doing good things but like you just didn't like it it's goofy <laughs> enough to where like I'm into that. The thing I do want to mention, I mentioned in the uh, the article, but the thing that I really like is that the opening when the camera's going through New York City, mm-hmm. you hear the the wind, and I think that's such a nice sign that this is a lucid dream, and it's the idea of like you're flying in a dream, right? And it's a uh, from the perspective of somebody flying in a dream rather than just a camera doing an establishing shot of New York City there's just little moments like that throughout the movie where I'm like, I appreciate that. Yeah. Right. 
Perfect. Cool. Okay. All right. Um, and at this point, we would talk about what movie we're doing next time, correct? Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what that is going to be. I feel like we have to always search this in like real time and figure out like what the next movie should be. <laughs> yeah, uh, we did everything everywhere. We did Banshees, Prisoners, Triangle of Sadness. We did Triangle of Sadness. We did Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, that's right. Under the Skin, I guess Black Swan. My Enemy God. could be it. As much as I don't want to do another Villeneuve movie. <laughs> I don't. You Enemy, know what? I. I've always been interested to rewatch it. Okay. We could do that here. Let's decide right now. That or End of Evangelion, which (laughs) I'm into doing, but I haven't seen the TV series. So, like, would that be a fruitful conversation? Probably not, because it relies so much on the context of the series. But I think that can make it interesting because I've seen End of Evangelion, and I loved it, despite not knowing any of that. And I feel like that speaks to like the way I watch movies that like I don't need to know that stuff. I mean, I've been looking for an excuse to watch the last Evangelion remake. Oh wow. So this would be the remakes I think are actually sequels. So You'd have to watch it good, in a week though. Yeah. This would be a good excuse to do Could, like the remakes are just movies. Oh, okay. So it's short. Yeah. And I've seen the first three. It's just the last one. I feel like that episode would just be a lot of you explaining things, which if you're down <laughs> for so. it, I think so. The, uh, the other alternative enemy or 3000 years of longing. Yeah. I mean, I, I would watch any of those. Um, I mean, maybe those are our next three episodes. Yeah. We'll, uh, flip coins and see which one comes up. All right. And check our Twitter. We'll, we'll reveal for sure which one it's going to be ahead of time. Yes. The three of you listening at this point in the episode. Check our Twitter. (laughs) Okay. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.